If you've spent any time here at Christ Church Plano, you'll no doubt have heard us use the language of being like Jesus in sermons and prayers, in our teaching. We talk a lot about being like Jesus for the sake of the world. And of course, that's not something unique to our church here at Christ Church. Christians have for millennia been talking and thinking and praying about being like Jesus. Ancient church fathers such as Gregory of Nista and Augustine of Hippo, they, they talked about the process of becoming like Christ as the very heart of Christian existence. In the Middle Ages, there was a Dutch monk by the name of Thomas Akempis, and he wrote this little book called The Imitation of Christ. And that book went on to become the most widely read book on spirituality in all of Christian history, The Imitation of Christ. This idea of imitating Christ, of being like Jesus, it's very popular among other Anglicans too. You may have heard that quote from C.S. Lewis that he says in Mere Christianity, where he says that the church exists for nothing else than to draw people into Christ and to make them little Christs. And Lewis isn't the only popular Anglican writer to make such a big deal of this. John Stott, the, the great Anglican evangelical preacher, he said something very similar in an address that he gave at the very end of his ministry career. John Stott, he was trying to answer the question of what God's purpose is for his people. It was a question that he had thought a lot about throughout his six decades of ministry. And during that time, he says, he had toyed with different answers, but this is what he told the people gathered together to hear him that day. I want to share with you, he said, where my mind has come to rest as I approach the end of my pilgrimage on earth. It is this, God wants his people to become like Christ, for Christ's likeness is the will of God for the people of God. Now, of course, I could go on citing more authorities from Christian history, but if you want to know why we at Christ Church talk so much about being like Jesus, you don't have to look at the church fathers or the Middle Ages or great Anglican thinkers of the modern world. In fact, you don't have to look really at church history at all. You just have to read the Bible itself. And when Jesus told his disciples to follow him, he was really inviting them to, to imitate him to become like him, to take up his way of life and be like him. In the Gospel of John, Jesus told his followers to love one another just as he had loved them. And the Apostle Paul, he also spoke frequently about being like Jesus. He told Christians in Corinth to imitate him as he imitated Christ. He told the Ephesians that they should be like Jesus by walking in love as Jesus loved us and gave himself up for us. And when he wrote his first letter to the Thessalonians, he began by giving thanks for how they had become imitators of Christ. And then when he wrote to the Christians in Philippi, he once again exhorted them to model their lives after the pattern of Jesus. Again and again, 
the New Testament exhorts Christians to imitate Christ, to be like Jesus. But it doesn't just encourage us to be like Jesus. The New Testament also promises us that this is, in fact, our destiny. That's what we read in 1 John chapter 3. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. So that's why we here at Christ Church, that's why we talk about being like Jesus, because that's the life that Jesus called us into as his followers, because that's what the Apostle Paul continually exhorted us to do, and because that, according to 1 John, that is our final destiny. But of course, it's, it's one thing to talk about being like Jesus. That's quite another thing to say what that actually means and how it's accomplished in our lives. So that's what we'll be discussing in this study. We're going to be talking about what it means to be like Jesus. What is Christ's likeness? And how do we cultivate that in our lives? And in order to answer these questions, we're going to look at what may seem to initially be a rather strange passage of Scripture. And the passage I have in mind is Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, where St. Paul says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, as I said at first glance, this may seem to be a rather odd passage of Scripture to look at for an answer to the question, what does it mean to be like Jesus? After all, you may have noticed, Jesus' name never even appears in these two verses. This is really just a list of virtues, a list of qualities that describe what a person of excellent character looks like. But if you read this verse in context with what Paul has been saying in the rest of Galatians, it's very clear that this isn't just a random list of admirable qualities. And today, when we read them, that's, that's often how we think of it. When we hear this list of virtues, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and the rest, well, they sound, they sound kind of obvious. You can read them and think, well, Obviously, clearly, we should be all of those things. Everyone agrees with that. But in the Roman culture in which these Galatians live, these people that Paul was writing his letter, in the Roman culture, these qualities, they weren't at all self-evidently admirable or really even considered virtuous. Romans admired qualities like strength and courage and dignity eloquence, loyalty to the family and to the state. What they admired were the qualities of those who had attained power, people who had held public influence, people who had brought fame and glory and honor both to themselves and to the Republic. What they really admired were the qualities of those like the military hero Aeneas, or well-spoken statesmen like Cicero. And 
Romans, they would have maybe admired self-control and peace, but love, patience, kindness, gentleness, no self-respecting Roman would have included these qualities in a list of virtues. So where then did these virtues come from? Why does Paul list these particular qualities in his description of spiritual character? Well, the first thing to say is they're not random. This isn't just some arbitrary list of good qualities that Paul came up with. No, they were chosen for a reason because they're deeply connected to everything that Paul has been saying throughout his letter to the Galatians. All throughout this letter, Paul has been talking about the good news of the gospel. The good news that by faith, Christians are united to Jesus Christ. They are made one with him. So much so that as he puts it in Galatians chapter 2, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And then later in Galatians chapter 4, Paul goes even further saying not only that Christians are united to Christ, but that we have actually received His very Spirit, the Spirit of the Son. And that's really fundamentally what Galatians is about. Not how Christians should live, but who they are as a people. Who they are as a people who have been made one with Jesus and now share His Spirit. And so when when Paul starts talking about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, he's not just listing some generic spiritual qualities that he thinks are great. He's actually describing the character of someone who has been made one with Christ. And that's really what makes this list of virtues distinctive. So what distinguishes them from the sorts of qualities that were admired in the ancient Roman world? These virtues are different because of the model on which they're based. These aren't the qualities of an Aeneas or a Cicero or any other hero from the Roman culture of Galatia to any hero of our own culture today. These are the qualities of Christ himself. And these are the kinds of virtues that are exhibited in the lives of people who were animated by Jesus' own spirit. Or, to use C.S. Lewis's phrase, these virtues are the qualities of little Christs. So that's, that's why we're going to focus on this list of qualities in Galatians. Because they, they help us to understand what it means to be like Christ. Because they help us to actually flesh that phrase out and think of it in concrete terms. But right from the beginning... There's something else that sets this list of virtues apart, something that we need to pay attention to right at the start of our study. In, in the ancient world, when people talked about virtues, they weren't just interested in what sort of qualities a person should have. They were also interested in how someone could acquire them. Were certain people just born with good character? Was it some kind of stroke of good fortune? Or was a good character maybe the product of some kind of study or hard work? Now, the philosopher Aristotle, he gave the most influential answer to this question. 
And his answer was in some ways rather simple. Virtues, according to Aristotle, are acquired by practice and by habit. To become brave, you need to practice acting bravely. If you want to be a person with the virtue of self-control, then you need to make a habit of repeatedly exercising self-control in your day-to-day -day decisions. Don't get that extra snack at night if you want to have self-control. But that's not how Paul thinks of Christ-likeness in Galatians. His list of Christ-like virtues, they're not something that you can acquire through practice or study or habit. They're not the product of hard work. They are, as he puts it, the fruit of the Spirit. And this makes a big difference. As the New Testament Chinese scholar, Ronald Fung, as he puts it in his commentary on this passage, the phrase, fruit of the Spirit, directly ascribes the power of the fructification not to the believer himself, but to the Spirit, and effectively hints that the qualities enumerated are not the result of strenuous adherence to an external legal code, but the natural product of a life controlled and guided by the Spirit. Christ-likeness, in other words, isn't something we achieve. It's something that the Holy Spirit produces in us. But if that's the case, you might ask, then why are we doing this study at all? If it's the Holy Spirit who produces these qualities in our life, then shouldn't we just sit back and allow Him to do His work? And this question, it's really one that gets right to the heart of one of the great mysteries, one of the great paradoxes of the spiritual life. It's a, it's a paradox and a mystery that you can see played out in Paul's own letters. On the one hand, Paul will tell us, holiness is not something we achieve. It is a gift of God. It's something that happens by the working of God's Spirit. On the other hand, as one theologian puts it, there is considerable evidence in the New Testament to suggest that the Spirit does not work coercively. The Spirit doesn't work against us or without us. And that's why in the very same chapter that Paul tells the Galatians about the fruit of the Spirit, it's why in the very same chapter he'll also instruct them that they must walk by the Spirit. That's why in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he warns Christians not to quench the Spirit. Paul makes it abundantly clear that the Holy Spirit is the one who produces fruit in our lives. And yet, we are still called to cultivate that fruit and to cultivate the Spirit's work in us. So that's what we're going to be doing for the next 10 weeks. We're going to study each one of these virtues. And we're going to ask questions like, how does this character, this virtue, how does it reflect the character of Jesus? Where do we see this quality in our own lives? And how can we continue to cultivate it further? And even as we're studying and discussing and asking these questions together, we will also be praying. We're going to be praying and asking God, God to do what we cannot do, to make us more and more like Jesus for the sake of the world.